0: Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com.
1: Our scripture reading today comes
2: to us from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord
1: Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each
2: as any had need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Kat. Thank you, Dr. Riegert, Brandon, and Tamara. Late in the week, Brandon said, I'm sick, can't sing. What a gift it is to have Tamara Hughes to help us when uh, Brandon is not feeling well. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of words about baptism before we move along. Um, We baptize folks of all ages, even babies. And some folks uh, react to that and say, babies can't know what they're getting into when they get baptized. Right. Absolutely right. Uh, I'm not sure that five or nine-year-olds know. I'm not sure that 49-year-olds know. Not sure that 99-year-olds necessarily know, because baptism is not at the end of the end of the day. Most about the person being baptized, it is first about the God who welcomes, right? And it is about that person being baptized, and it is about all of us who are trying to figure out what it means to be amongst the baptized all the time. So if you ever worry, if you ever worry, I'm not sure that that kid knows what he or she's getting into. We assume that they do not know what they're getting into. We will assume that about you, no matter what age you are, if and when you decide to get baptized, but this is why we exist. We exist to be the people of God and to help one another know what it means to be the people of God. Truth of the matter is, not everybody who gets married knows what they're getting into either, amen? And so, as a church, we help some of those folks, too, to know that it's more than a wedding that makes a marriage. Get the point? Okay. Okay. So here we are in the second week of Easter in a uh, sermon series entitled, uh, Well, Go There. But as you can tell by the the sign here, uh, we are going to be asked to um, talk about sensitive subjects. And perhaps no subject is quite as sensitive as your money, particularly when you refer to it as your money. But that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about um, what difference the resurrection makes where your finances and my finances and the church finances are concerned. Let me say this to you first. Your finances and my finances and our finances should, should testify to the reality of the resurrection now, I only got one amen, so there's, I, I need some more conviction in the room, okay? The way that you handle and spend and budget and prioritize, and the way that I handle and spend and budget and prioritize, and obviously the way that we, we steward the resources that you make available to us, it all should testify to the reality of an empty cross and an empty tomb. And all God's people said, And to not do so is a real problem. To not do so is a real problem. And you really don't have to look any farther than the very next chapter. I recognize it is Kids Sunday. And so these next several verses from the first part of Acts chapter 5 will be read largely without comment. Here we go. Acts chapter 5, starting there with verse 1. But a man named Ananias, after the verses you've just heard, but a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's knowledge, he kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled you, filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but to God. Now when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard of it. The young men came and wrapped up his body, then carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter said to her, Tell me whether you and your husband sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yep, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Look, the feet of those who have carried your husband out are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and died, and when the young men came in, they found her dead. So they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard these things. I'm going to ask the ushers to get ready to take the morning offering. Thank you for coming today, everyone. Uh... (laughs) Ananias and Sapphira were living on the wrong side of the cross and the resurrection. They postured themselves as people who are living on this side if you were here last week on Easter Sunday what we did is we we placed the cross in the in the entire Christ event so I mean also the resurrection but we placed the cross on this larger timeline and we said this that God is doing something specific it has forward motion and this this is the point at which everything changed this is a point right here when God declared ultimate victory When this Jesus was revealed to be the king amongst kings, the power amongst all powers, changed all the rules. So back there on that side of the cross, on that side of the timeline, there were still competing powers, each vying for their position. And sure enough, they see Jesus as a competitor and as a threat, and so they do their best to conquer him, but they could not. He conquered them. And so on this side now of the cross and the resurrection, everything is supposed to be different, especially where we are all concerned. Especially where we are all concerned. The book of Acts tries to give us some idea of what it can look like, perhaps even what it's supposed to look like, when a group of people gather To regularly rehearse and celebrate and remind one another that sure enough, this Jesus is no longer on this cross and not in that tomb. That this Jesus is at this moment reigning supreme, having still changed all of the rules. And we are to be the tangible expression of those changed rules. The book of Acts says all of this, all of this is moved about and powered by the Spirit. Now, we are most familiar with Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. If you haven't heard that story, it's crazy. (laughs) The Spirit of God arrives, and when the Spirit of God arrives, you have this huge violent sound of a rushing mighty wind, but you also have what seem to be tongues of flame that separate and alight then, light on all these different people, and these different people who have then sort of received the Spirit are given the capacity to speak in tongues, but I want to make sure that we, we hear that properly. They're given the capacity to speak and be heard in all of the different language groups. It's not somehow unintelligible speech. It's real languages because there are lots of different people from lots of different places in the world, and they all spoke different languages. And so what the Spirit is doing here is the Spirit is saying, this God is God of all nations. This message is a message for all people. And so you are all now granted the opportunity to speak it and to hear it in your native tongue. That's the point. We call that the day of Pentecost. But you should know this. God sort of Pentecosts throughout the book of Acts. There are a lot of times when the Spirit shows up and enables people. Well, this, is, this is huge. This is huge. There are a lot of times in the book of Acts when the Spirit shows up and enables people to do something that they would not be able to do otherwise. Today, today, we're in the hopes that the Spirit can show up and enable people to give in ways that they could not otherwise. <laughs> Some of you are saying, I am not sure I want that Spirit. <laughs> Look at this. This is the verse before the verses that Cat read so well just a minute ago. When they had prayed, they'd just been kind of called on the the carpet, the apostles had, and we'll actually tell more of this story in the weeks to come. They've been called on the carpet. They were in great danger. They prayed and asked for boldness, and it seems like they are getting it. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. And so here is another evidence, another evidence, huge points here. Another evidence that sure enough, God raised Jesus from the dead and now Jesus is ultimately in charge of everything. Okay? Another evidence that God raised Jesus from the dead and that Jesus is in charge of everything is us. Us. We are evidence that God has accomplished what God set out to accomplish at the very outset of all creation. God set out to have creation one back to him god has always wanted to have a people who would embody and make god tangible and touchable god has always wanted to have let's say an alternative community in which the rules would all be changed to align with the truth of the resurrection so we are in so many ways evidence that the resurrection happened is that okay so long as we are evidence that the resurrection has happened. And when we're not, many times, not every time, but when we're not, many times, it's because a little bit like Ananias and Sapphira were living on the wrong side of the cross, believing that ultimate hope and security is found somewhere over here and not in the victory of Christ. Ananias and Sapphira, they weren't killed, they chose death. Hear hear that. Ananias and Sapphira chose to live in deathly circumstances. They chose to trust a power that did not have ultimate authority. They chose to trust their wealth in ways that caused them to hold back and lie about that which they were holding back. I mean, Simon Peter even says it: you didn't have to sell your stuff. And when you sold your stuff, all that money was at your disposal, but you lied and said you were living on that side of the cross when you're living on this side of the cross. In other words, you don't believe this, and you have chosen a deathly situation, and it got you. Now, the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul. That, you can read the book and know This. This did not mean that they agreed about everything. <laughs> it means that they knew that they belonged to one another as they belonged to God. As they disagreed about things. Boy, that's, that's really important because you can hear a version of the gospel story these days that would lead you to believe that we are in the process of being separated into our agreeing sides or parties. But that could not be further from the truth. This statement here... They were of one heart and soul does not mean that they agreed about everything. They, weren't all, they didn't all look alike. They didn't all dress alike. It means that they understood that as they belonged to God, they belonged to one another because that's one of the victories won in the resurrection. They were one in heart and soul. And no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. Now, some of you are saying, eh. Common. Do you know you can find the word common in the word, what am I going to say? Communism. Yeah, this is not communism. There's no gun here. Willing and voluntary generosity and sharing should not ever be confused with communism. In fact, let's not say communism as we look at this. Let's say, let's call it what it is. A testimony. It's the generosity that emanates from a testimony that says, sure enough, God raised Jesus from the dead, and Jesus changed all the rules. Okay, 11 of you really like that. I'm going with you guys. Okay. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, you may not see it here, but this is a very intentionally written verse, especially that first part of verse 34. There was not a needy person among them. In fact, it sounds almost word for word like a verse found in Deuteronomy chapter 15 in which God through the writer dreams right out loud that someday there will be a covenant community and that covenant community will acknowledge the victory of God and they will acknowledge the victory of God in ways that will result in their not being any needy people among them that those who belong in this group will have their needs met because the people who belong to this covenant community will recognize that by the way all of our money belongs to God anyway and so we make it available so that there will be no needs among us let me ask you a question you don't have to say it out loud you even have to write it down how much of what you have belongs to God How much of what you have belongs to God? Now, Jesus comes along knowing this whole discussion knowing that at some point God wanted to raise up a group of people, a covenant community, and knowing, too, that it would happen at the point of resurrection when God would have defeated all enemies, including sin and death. Jesus, knowing all of this, Jesus, knowing that he is the bringer of this new age, says this in Luke chapter 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Next slide. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. A lot of people believe that last phrase is meant to be understood as the year of Jubilee. Now, this is craziness. In the year of Jubilee, every 50th year, the hope and the dream was that every 50th year, listen to this, all debts would be canceled. And all God's people said, How soon? <laughs> all debts would be canceled. There would be no financial slavery. There would be no slavery. There would be no bondage. There would be no domination. There would be this great giant reset, and some people in the room don't like that. The folks who may not like that, <laughs> forgive this to the extent that you understand to be judgmental. But if you, if you just hate that notion that there could be a sense of freedom, financial and otherwise, for all, it might be because you're over there somewhere. Trusting a power and trusting a sense of security other than the one granted and gifted to you in the death and the resurrection of Jesus himself. There was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Now, Barnabas would accompany Paul on his first missionary journey, which, by the way, was to Cyprus. (laughs) Listen to what Barnabas would do. He sold a field that belonged to him, and then he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And we have every reason to believe that this money financed the move of the kingdom to Cyprus. Paul's first missionary journey. Okay. John, are you suggesting that we should sell everything? That we should sell everything, bring it to the church, and let you decide who's going to get it? If you want to do that, I mean, whatever. But if you want to do something, no, no. Here's what what I'm saying. Here's what I'm insisting. I'm insisting that we, all of us together, should live and save and budget and spend as if God raised Jesus from the dead. You know, after this, there will be other people who will be partners in this gospel who did not, in fact, sell everything. They didn't sell their homes. They didn't even sell their businesses. In fact, there would be other people whose businesses would push and further the kingdom. There would be other homes that would house churches and house these missionaries as they went. So there are people who don't sell everything and add it to the common good. But everybody lives and spends and handles dangerous money. By the way... We believe that the author of Luke is the same guy who authored the book of Acts, and Luke Acts, as it's often called, Luke Acts is most concerned about what money is going to do to you, most concerned. Parable after parable after parable after story after story after parable seems to say this. Make sure that there is a healthy distance between you and money. And you know that it's not going to be a healthy distance if you heard me say you and your money, because I'll ask you again how much of your money belongs to God? And the answer ultimately is all you knew. And that doesn't mean that you sell everything. Or donate everything to the teens so that they can sell up and then go on their mission trips. But if you want to donate some things to them, that would be awesome. It doesn't mean that you sell everything. It doesn't mean that we all live in tents around the circumference of the church. It means that we all are challenged and asked and begged to live on this side of the cross. How? Do you testify to the reality of the resurrection as it has to do with money? The answer to that question can take a variety of forms. A variety of forms. It must take the form of generosity, it must take the form Of people care it must take the form of sober assessment of needs and sober assessment of what I have that would go into the resource category John are you just talking about church finances oh hear this I am talking about church finances but I'm talking about more than that but let's talk about church finances We have the largest budget that we have ever had because you have been generous. (laughs) I don't know what you think a large budget is, but our budget is around $860,000, which is more than it's ever been before. Beyond that, I don't know if you know this, but we built a cool building back there, and it is being used mightily, day in, day out, sometimes hour in, hour out back there. We are doing great things, and we have a debt to service back there, and I do believe I do believe that it will be the generosity of the people of God, unusual, beautiful, hilarious generosity of the people of God that will help us to get to another place of jubilee. And then at that place of jubilee, God will send us into another challenge. I promise that God will. I do believe that you and I need to explore financial life on this side of the cross. And as we do, debts get paid, even the churches but I mean more than that. And I am not just talking about money. The hope is that we would be a resurrection community so committed to the lordship of a resurrected Christ that every other claim for our allegiance every other, every other claim to power in our lives would always be subordinated to this king and this claim and this kingdom. So that we are then, hear this, so that we are then free to live differently than we lived over there, differently than all those folks who live over there. I think kids know this. Now, what you're going to tell me is uh, children have a tendency to be selfish. That's Okay. We sometimes have to talk our children into sharing. Terry Toller loves to tell the story of of Tyler Copeland, who was here years and years ago, who sat back there in one of our Wednesday night dinners. Terry congratulated him on turning four, to which Tyler responded, Yep, and when I'm five, I'll learn to share. (laughs) And sometimes it works like that. And then other times, kids sort of instinctively kind of get this.
0: Our person of the week, sitting in the crowd of thousands at the Arizona Diamondbacks game, a 12-year-old boy watching the game, about to do something that would catch not only their eyes in the announcer's booth, but ours too. We couldn't believe what we were seeing. It was the fourth inning. A player tosses a ball into the stands. Two little boys wanted it, but only Ian McMillan would get it. Oh, look at that young Brewers fan. Now, wait a minute. He is. Did he get? Oh, boy. He is sour. He is sour. The Diamondback fan got it. The announcers watching with their own play by play.
2: Oh, he's bummed. Are you out.
0: kidding me? This kid's going to do this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That is big. Time oh, my right goodness. There.
2: What a nice young man. Well, he's got a diamond
0: back hat, but we have to get something for that kid. Got, to got to just, I can't believe I just witnessed that. That is that just, awesome. You, that, young man, are you a young star. Man are awesome. <laughs> the game would go on, Ian having given up his prized gets, catch. But then a phone there, call. Though? It seemed someone had here. seen his kindness on TV.
2: He's being told right now that he's being praised on TV. Yeah, he's big league. He
0: is late today, league. we met Ian too.
3: I thought it was the right thing to do. Like, I saw the kid, he was really sad, so I decided just to give the ball back. And my mom and my dad, like taught, like, taught me that way, so it's kind of just, like, natural.
0: That Ian didn't leave that game empty-handed. Moments after giving that ball away, the announcers had a special gift for the fan a baseball bat signed by his favorite player. So, up to, up to an autographed bat and a contract for the generous Ian and his buddies.
3: The box was really really cool. I was like really surprised and like I did not see that coming.
0: He's got good home
2: training. That's a, yeah, that's that's a very well-bred young man.
3: If you do good things, good things will happen to you.
0: Reminding us all that often what you give
3: nice going, young man.
0: delivers far more in return. That even a little boy could imagine. And so we choose Ian McMillan with a lesson for us all. And we learned late today that after talking to us, he was off to throw out the first pitch at tonight's Diamondbacks game. Go get him, Ian.
2: Okay, a couple of things there. First of all, I think it's interesting that the, the name Ian means gift. It's pretty interesting. Um, second, how often did he reference the culture that taught him to be that way? So apparently it does work, right? What, I, what I've said to you and what I say to you every time we dedicate a baby. Apparently that stuff, it does work like that. Will you be caught reading, praying, serving, giving? Because if you'll be caught reading, praying, serving, giving, someone's going to learn how to re-pray, serve, and give. But there's another voice in there that I, I want to I actually take issue with here a little bit. We in the church do not give in order to receive notoriety for having given, right? We give because he's alive. Because as it turns out, generosity is testimony to the reality of the resurrection. We give... Because he won. Wait, do you know that he won? He won. We don't give for the shine of a spotlight. We don't give for an autographed bat. By the way, that kid, did he, does he not understand the business of baseball? I mean, you could have, that, that ball was going to be worth a lot. And, and well, no, he He gave. But we don't give to get, we give to testify. We don't give to get, we give to testify, and I'm not just talking about dollars. You have to know this. The taking care of one another is not just a matter of dollars, is it? It's a matter of you and all that is encompassed when we say you, and part of that is a financial resourcing, but there's a whole lot more to you than just what you're carrying in your wallet right now, I hope. And we give, we give because he's alive.
1: Blessed are those who give without interest, who offer themselves and expect nothing in return. Hallowed are the places of small sacrifices, where the thankless work is done.
2: Has always dreamed that there would be a covenant community, a covenant that emanates from the heart of God, that is received them by the people of God, and then practiced amongst the people of God. It's always been the dream of God that there would be a group of people who would out loud, sometimes with their lips moving, testify to the reality of a changed circumstance the biggest that can be described. We receive, we eat every week at the Lord's table to be reminded of this new reality. If you're helping us today, if you'll go ahead and come on up as we prepare to remember and rehearse again this new kind of kingdom, this different kind of king This new way of being alive, which has to do with, as we say about the bread, which has to do with being taken, blessed, broken, and given. We've mentioned this a couple of times. I want to underline it three times and put it in bold and italicize it right now. We are in the hopes that we would all be what the bread is, taken, blessed, broken, and given. As you approach today, I hope that that thought will be in mind. That as you eat, you are actively preparing to be taken, blessed, broken, and given. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And by them, Lord, strengthen us to be a covenant community so in lockstep with the movements of the kingdom, the movements of a resurrected Jesus, that we can't help but embody and testify through the reality of the difference and the change. Bless the bread and the cup. Strengthen us, Lord, to remember. Remind us, remind us, God, that we are to live on this side of the cross. Convict us, point it out when we are too often living on the wrong side of the cross. Root out everything in us that in any way resembles Ananias and Sapphira and drag us, Lord, even if you have to drag us kicking and screaming, drag us closer and closer to Barnabas. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand, exit your pew to the left, and then walk forward and find somebody holding a plate of bread. Now, in this new and different economy, you aren't going to be asked to pay for this bread. So have your hands ready to participate in this very different kind of economy Come ready to receive it as a gift, that which you cannot and can't ever grab, steal, charge, pay for. Come ready to receive this grace as a gift. When you do, the person holding the bread will say, This is the body of Christ broken for you. And then take that bread and dip it into the cup held by the person standing right there. When you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat right then and there. Take and eat right then and there. After that, you have a decision to make. I hope that you will decide to pray somewhere. I hope that the decision is where you will actually or ultimately pray. If you're in need of a prayer for healing, These side padded altars are reserved for you, reserved for prayers for healing. And we will find you there to pray that prayer for healing and anoint you with oil, symbol of the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you have any other kind of prayer to pray, something weighing heavy on your heart, maybe it's a praise. Maybe you're praying about something... um, a disease or an illness, you're praying for someone else, all of those prayers, you can pray those prayers anywhere, but if you pray them up here on these wooden kneeling benches, then you'll notice that you will never pray alone. Someone will come and join you. If you can't come to us, Jason will come to you. It's one of the best parts of this ritual, watching Jason go to the different places around the sanctuary. If you'll catch his eye, he will come and serve you this meal. You still need to do this though and receive as a gift that which cannot be gotten any other way it was on the night that he was betrayed that our savior took bread blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying this is my body broken for you every time you eat of this bread remember me after dinner he took the cup He held it up before them. He said, and this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. And every time you drink of this cup, remember, remember me. All across the sanctuary now, I want to invite you to stand. Exit your pew to the left. Come forward. There are stations in the back. If you need Jason to come to you, Jason will come to you. But come and receive that which comes only as a gift.
3: have
2: to this altar at any time you're welcome to come and support one that you see here just just a touch on the back or on the shoulder is incredibly reassuring if you would if you would come now and surround these who are at the altar Father, we confess that we are still trying to figure out what to do with this resurrection. The book of Acts is at times a lot of help, and then at other times it's it's pretty challenging. (laughs) Because it seems at every turn, the early church and so the current day church is pushed beyond the boundaries of comfort. talked about inclusion and now we've talked about finance. We're sensitive in those areas, Lord, sensitive. We've formed our opinions and to be honest, Lord, we're not always hospitable to any other opinion other than the one that we've grown comfortable with. And yet the spirit pushes us all, apostles and all, beyond where we were before. You're calling us beyond those boundaries. Help us to know how to get there. And help us to know what life is going to look like once we are there. God, help us to know how to testify. Help us to know that generosity is, in and of itself, a testimony. Help us to know if where our finances are concerned, where our resources are concerned, even where I understand myself and my time as a resource, help us to know whether or not we're on the correct side of the cross. Teach us how to live in the light of the resurrection. Teach us how to live in the light of the resurrection, God, because we confess There are days when we lack the imagination for it. There are other days when we lack the courage for it. But teach us that we are not alone. Remind us, God, that, yes, you are a constant companion for us, but remind us, too, that you have grouped us together so that we could draw strength and inspiration and imagination from one another. God, may it be true of this place that we would be so generous that we would be able to handle the needs in the room and beyond. So may we give us people who are convinced of the resurrection. May we give of our resources. May we give of our time and energy. May we give us people who are absolutely and thoroughly convinced of the reality of the resurrection. be Barnabas. Father, you have heard these prayers of confession. Hear now these prayers of intercession as we bring these needs to your mind and heart.
4: we ask that you would come along some of our friends who need specific touches from you in your presence. We ask God that now you'd be with Dr. Ken Rice, one of our former pastors who's at Baptist Hospital right now and ask you would heal him, strengthen him, be with him and be with Betty as well. Uh, She has a long week ahead that you would come alongside this first family of ours and God that you would be with them, be with Lee and Linda as they love and care for them as well. Lord, we're grateful for the ways in which you continue to come alongside Debbie McKenzie and ask God you would continue to heal her body, be with her as she prepares for radiation. Lord, we're thankful for the the good news and the, the good surgery that she's recently had, but just ask you would come alongside and heal her body, heal her. Lord, we ask that you would be specifically with... Um, family of Virginia Walker who passed away this week and grateful for her life and her story and her smile and her testimony and ask God that like her, we might live into the light of the resurrection, smiling our way in ways of hospitality and grace. We ask you to be with those who are left behind in her life and also those who are grieving because they've also recently had loss and experienced loss as well. we ask you to be with those who need a specific healing touch from you. And each person who came into this room probably knows a person in their life that needs healing, whether that be relational healing, physical healing, emotional healing, financial healing. Just as the Lord brings a, a name, a face to your mind, go ahead and pray for that person as God puts them on your heart. In and through us, in our neighborhood, in our nation, in our city, around our world, and that God you would use us to bring your kingdom to come. We are grateful for places like Zambia and Haiti and ask God that you would be so close to some of our friends in these places today. Lord, would you move us to be a people by your grace? that reflects and believes and lives into this prayer, the prayer you taught your disciples to pray, in this morning we'll say that prayer using debts and debtors. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power.